great big good morning to everyone. I'm Senior Pastor Chuck Blair. It's great to have you here joining me this morning. Whether you're joining us here in our studio audience or you're joining us down, down at the shore or, or down in Florida or out in California or over in Ireland, wherever it might be from, we welcome you here today. And we know, you know, to start off, we, we know this week, you know, has been a challenge. You know, many of our thoughts go right away towards Texas and the events there. Again, I do want to tell you, we've been talking about that online. We have a number of different services, uh, uh, different discussions that have taken place. Please go to our website if you'd like to see more about that. And today, what we're going to be talking about is, is we're going to be talking about the idea of the blessed and broken of life. The life is always this admixture. And it's, it's interesting. I, I used to feel a great compulsion if somebody said something negative to overplay the whole positive side of things. Pathologically optimistic. <laughs> and more and more, I feel like the Christian message is actually this beautiful admixture. That somehow that longing for a better world, sometimes longing because our hearts are broken, is incredibly important. And that doesn't mean we end up negative people. Actually, it ends up we carry life forward with a great deal of joy and a great deal of love. It just means that the journey is not a straight line. That there is a broken road, that broken road is blessed much of the time. So join me on this conversation today. And what I want to talk about, I want to start out first talking about last week's service, just a little bit about Pete Davis. We were talking about him a little bit, his book dedicated. And what Pete Davis said, he said, life is much like this. It's, it's, it's a hallway with a bunch of rooms. And we live in an era where we want to keep all options open. As he said, an era of eternal browsing. So we want to know there's a bunch of halls. We want to know there's a ton of rooms. And we just want to barely sample each one to sort of find what's interesting here, what's interesting here, what's interesting here, what's interesting here. So we far more are into, in this era, far more into visiting than committing. And this series is about the joy that people can find through actual commitment. Because here's something to think about if you didn't see last week's service that we talked about. Isn't this interesting? That the people who really make a change in the world, the people I look up to, the people you look up to, they're people who have said, I'm going to go into one room, I'm going to close the door, and I'm going to make a difference here. I'm going to make a difference here. That's what commitment and dedication can be, and that's where we find a level of joy that's far beyond kind of a superficial happiness. But, but here's, here's the challenging part, folks. This next slide is one that I, I share with you with a smile, because I think it's so true, and I think it is so challenging. It is this. Committing to one room means choosing 1,000 failures. If we commit to one thing, if we commit to one thing, I think we can absolutely count on 1,000 failures. And that's a little different. You know, I was talking to a friend this morning. He said, that's a little different than just saying, okay, we're going to have life, and then life will have a few failures in it. No, you commit, I guarantee you will make 1,000 mistakes. If you commit to a relationship, 
you're committing to a thousand mistakes. You commit to a church, synagogue, or mosque, you're committing to a thousand mistakes, either on your end or on theirs. You commit to a job, you're committing to a thousand mistakes. And there's something about that, I think, that's incredibly important because, because I think in this room analogy, right, hallways and rooms, the more rooms, the better, this, this era of eternal browsing. Oftentimes when we enter a room and a mistake, there's some kind of mistake in there, either on that end or on our end, we, we can so easily just, just, you know, swap it all out and go to another room. But that's not really how we grow. See, folks, love is synonymous with sacrifice. Love is synonymous with sacrifice. If we love something, we have to learn to sacrifice to it. To sacrifice means to make sacred. I'm going to step back with my dear friends here who are about to do an amazing, beautiful song. So if we think about commitment this way, these two are amazing musicians and dear friends. Incredibly talented. Could I get a little amen on that? <laughs> they really are something else. And just imagine if their whole musical career they believed was just about browsing. That really, to become good musicians, all it meant was that they watched a bunch of MTV. I'm speaking as somebody who was from the 80s, right? That that was it. It was just about watching video after video after video after video. But that's not how they approach music. They approach music as this room that they're going to step into and they're going to commit. Now, I heard you folks practicing this morning. Emily, how many mistakes were made this morning in practice? Couldn't count. Couldn't count, right? Countless mistakes. But you see, that's what commitment is. When you commit, you're saying, we're going to make the mistakes. But we've got something bigger that we're serving. We've got something greater than us. And that's the surrender to the music. That's the surrender to what life can actually be. That's the surrender where we learn to take our rest. So friends, join me on this journey. Welcome. Welcome to New Church Live.
When thoughts you try to leave behind keep sniping from the dark. When the fire burns inside you, but you jump from every spark. When your heart's beset by memories you wish you never made. The sun comes up an enemy, and nothing gives you shade in the Southland of the heart where the saints go lazily lie down take your rest with me When the preacher lays his inside down and claims to lead the blind, when those you trust just get you hooked and trifle with your mind, when the nightmares creep in closer and your wheels are in the mud, when everything's ambiguous except the taste of blood, in the Southland of the heart, there's no question of degree. Lie down, take your rest with me in the Southland. Of the heart, everyone was always free. Lie down, take your rest with me. Lie down. What a beautiful song, and, and, and that idea of, of take a rest, take a rest with me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's God's words there. Take a rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's interesting, folks, looking as we hop into today's story, you know, how good God is at breaking God's own rules. And if you remember the clergy, we're really good at rules. <laughs> the Bible constantly reminds us, God's breaking them all the time. So I want to tell you about one of the first big rules that God breaks. It's kind of interesting because we read the Bible and we think, no, this is all about us breaking rules. Well, it is. And it's also about God breaking rules all the time. So story. And, and the background of this, folks, is, is we do a little Bible study every morning, live, 8.30 a.m. You can watch it archived. It's called 10 Minutes of Morning Calm. We've been looking at this story for a number of weeks, just little bits and pieces. And Sundays are a great chance to kind of take that and go into a lot more depth on this, these stories. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. 
It's a famous story, one we talk about a lot in here, story of Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve, tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you have this big garden, this paradise that people are living in. And there's this tree, and in the tree in the middle of this garden is the knowledge, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And God says, if you eat of this tree, you will die. You will die. I mean, that's sort of the ultimate of threats right there. You will die. And of course, human beings being human beings, what do we do? We go and we eat of that tree. And, and think of that tree. It's not about the idea that we, we were not to tell the difference between right and wrong. We are. It's the idea that we can judge other people down to the level of their souls. And when we believe we can do that and we put ourselves in the place of God, no longer made in God's own image, but us making God in ours, that's trouble. And that is deadly. But it's what we human beings often do. And that's what happened. So they eat of this tree. Now here's fascinating. Again, they eat of the tree. God's really clear. You will die. You will die. The story goes on, and we see a totally different approach to this, a totally different way that the story should have gone. So I'm going to read you a little piece from it from one, one Bible translation here, and then we're going to look at another one to look at these beautiful parts. This is from Genesis 3. So they ate of the apple, then the eyes of both Adam and Eve were opened. They realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man Adam said to then the man Adam and his wife Eve heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Beautiful line there. Beautiful line. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you? So, folks, I want to talk about this in a number of ways. And don't lose track, right? Don't lose track of that. There was a clear thing, like if you eat of this, you're going to die. And God immediately breaks God's own rules there. Immediately, you know, there's this appearance that God can be angry. From a Christian New Church perspective, we don't believe God can even frown on you. That's how deep the love is. And we see echoes of it in this response. This is from a different biblical translation, but a beautiful one. And they, Adam and Eve, heard the voice of Jehovah going alone in the garden at the breeze of the day. Oh, I love that. I don't know where you're watching from, but we have beautiful weather here today. So here is this beautiful garden. Here these people have done this thing that's totally wrong. They knew it was wrong. They knew there was this big draconian punishment. And it starts out with this image of God not arriving with wrath, sword in hand, angry, ready to take names. It's a God walking through a garden in the breeze of the day. Just let that sit in for a second. Notice right away what a very different view of God that is. What an incredibly gracious and compassionate view of God that is. That's the kind of God, again, going back to the song, take a rest in me. Behold, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, we will go on with the story and we'll take a look. There are other places where there's clear accountability, but let's just sit in that place for a minute. As Adam and Eve, we see them moving on 
And then this beautiful next part here, folks. Flip up the slide here. And said they were hiding themselves from Jehovah's face. Hiding themselves from Jehovah's face. I think about, you know, that, and I think so many of us, again, that's why the Bible is so beautiful on so many levels, right? We read this stuff, it's thousands of years old, but it's very human. I take you back to being 10 years old. When you did something you shouldn't have, and you were so worried, you hid from your parents. <laughs> that's what this is talking about. So worried that you hid. But here there's something, folks, beautiful. From a Christian New Church perspective, we believe this. We believe that what could this picture, what, what is God's face? What is it like to, to, to have Jehovah, to have God look at you? When we believe that face of God, these words here, mercy, peace, and everything good. Mercy, peace peace, and everything good. That when we allow God to look at us, that that is the face that we behold. And if we don't behold that face, mercy, peace, everything good, it's probably not God's face looking at us. It's probably our own way of thinking what God's face is. I've said this before, but I think it's so powerful. I love Pope Francis's words where he said, he said, look, if you struggle with faith, faith, people ask me all the time, I want to have the same faith that you have, speaking to the Pope. And his answer isn't some great geometric proof. His answer is simply, well, let Jesus look at you. <laughs> it's a great line. Just let Jesus look at you. Mercy, peace, everything good. Mercy, peace, everything good. Those views, folks, can be incredibly important because I feel like they do really tell us that God in this place does not turn away. And again, the connection, the bigger connection, I'm going to diverge just a little bit here. Remember, we're talking about if you choose to commit to something in your life, you're committing to a thousand failures. If we commit to those thousand failures, those thousand mistakes, we have to get that's part of life. We have to get that that's part of the journey. And weirdly, can we commit to the failures? Can we commit to failing? Commit to knowing that it doesn't, I don't think that means like purposefully going out and failing. It means that we commit to knowing that there will be failures and our job is to continue marching through those as we all find our way home. Because folks, I think, I think there's kind of two ways to hold life, right? Many, many ways, right? I should just say two ways. Many, many ways. There's this one view of failure that if you fail to go back to the, what they thought was going to happen, you will surely die. If you fail in this way, you will surely die. Now imagine for many of us, we have a whole story over here, right? Think of all those things you didn't do because you were so afraid of failing. So afraid of failing, folks. Because you were sure death, and I'm here, I'm talking figurative death, not literal death. You know, you were sure you were going to die if somehow failure was part of that. 
That's, that's so powerful. I remember for myself going through a very trying time. And it was a relationship that was, that was really challenged at that time. And I, I saw a counselor. And the counselor said, Chuck, you do realize that you're going to be okay. As they would say today, mind blown. <laughs> because I was so sure that I was going to die. Not literally, but figuratively. See, the Bible, folks, thousands of years old, it's written for us. It's been written for all time. I mean, that, that's the story. I think you know exactly what that's like. I think about maybe a, a young adult who's, who like really wants to dance or sing or somehow perform, and yet they can't quite step into it because they're sure that if they make a mistake, and they make a mistake in front of other people, that they will surely die. I mean, just even look at that word phrase we use, right, folks? Die of embarrassment. So it's, it's, it's from a lower level to a higher level, and I think we all can do that. Where, where is that for you? Where might you be drawing back from commitment? Because in some way, shape, or form, you're sure that if it doesn't work out, that you're going to die. And then aside, I can promise you, it's not going to work out the way you think. There's going to be a thousand mistakes. And it's still going to be good. Mercy. Peace, everything good. That's how God views all those things. Folks, you know, just, just you think of the way a loving parent looks at someone. Looks at it, looks at it, looks at a child. We're going to talk about this more next week, but looks at a child who's really trying. They're not worried about the, the end product at all. They're just worried that their child knows love. Boy, that's a different way to hold life and a different way to hold commitment. Interestingly, Emmanuel Swedenborg says, what this does when we get, when we allow God to look at us this way, when we, we really see the face of God as this mercy, peace, everything good, he said that resonates with what's inside of us and gives us an inner call. We get looked at that way, we allow God to look at us that way, it will call us into something. It will help us to move forward. It will help us to move through the inevitable mistakes of life. And one of the ones I was thinking about this morning, and I, I don't even have language for it yet, because literally it was, was an idea this morning, just brushing up on stuff. Isn't it interesting the way, too, that inner call, if I can really understand that inner call, I can really get that, no, I'm not going to die if a mistake or something or anything fails. I'm not going to die. Boy, that creates its own kind of courage, doesn't it? Like there's a courage that comes out of that. And it's not, it's not just this silly, this silly light courage. Like one of the things, folks, that, that there's a number of things that drive me nuts as a pastor, and this is me speaking on a very human level, probably from my 12-year-old self. I really dislike when people say, like, you just got to believe and everything will work out. That's not always going to be true. 
That's not always going to be true. Believing and believing in yourself and believing in the world and believing in your gifts, really important. And God will cheer you on with that. And it doesn't mean it's always going to work out exactly as you think it will. I am blessed with a person who I think is the world's funniest brother. My brother is extremely funny. And I told this story years ago, but I want to share it again. My, my brother ran cross-country. He's a really good swimmer. He also ran cross-country in high school. And he, he was sure that if he just went into a race believing that he wasn't going to get tired, that he could start this, I don't know how long cross-country races, we'll say three miles, that he could just start this three-mile race at a full sprint and finish it at a full sprint. It was just belief. If you just believed. Do you think that worked? <laughs> no, it didn't work at all. So it's not just a, a, a belief thing, folks. It's, it's a way here to hold life. If I commit to a room, I'm committing to a thousand mistakes. And that level of commitment moves us away from, well, if I make a mistake, I'm going to die, into this place, again, mercy, peace, everything, good. I think so much of the time, for me, is, is sort of seeing God, when I make mistakes, seeing God as the bailout. So life fills with parking tickets, Life fills with all kinds of challenges. And I know for me, much of the time, what I want is, is I want God to just bail me out of that. I make a mistake, I say the wrong thing, I do the wrong thing, I do the human being thing. And what I want is I want, I want God to bail me out. Did you ever do that? Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Where you just wish that God would just like, just take it all magically. Take away the ticket. It doesn't seem to be how God works. It's not about taking away the ticket. It's about knowing that you're loved. It's not about taking away the ticket. It's about knowing that you're loved. See, Adam and Eve, as the story goes on, there are consequences for what they've done. There are dire consequences. And, and, and it's not that we look at this from a, from a Christian New Church perspective and, and use this as a tale to say, well, look, if you do this, then all this will happen. It's, it's more a descriptive part of saying, this is what will happen. You will make these mistakes. And these mistakes will hurt you and they'll hurt other people. And you will have to figure out accountability. You will have to figure out how to move on. And with all that, hear this at the deepest level you can. You will always be loved. You will always be loved. I was thinking about it yesterday. You know, there's a, there was a great conversation around that I, that I oftentimes share with young couples. And we, we talk about the highs of life and the low, the challenges in the boat, out of the boat, you know, the good stuff and the bad stuff. 
and the idea, where's God and all that, and we've mentioned here before, we tend to just put God in the good stuff part, and God's never around when the bad stuff is happening. And yet, when you write all that out on a piece of paper, we have to think of God's love as the piece of paper, not as the event. Because if God's love is just the piece of paper, that means, of course, we're going to have good days, and of course, we're going to have, and we just, we know that it's written on a goodness, on a love. Even, you know, thinking about this sermon, I, I was out walking yesterday, you know, and I'm walking on this path down this, towards our house, walk, 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 and, and I'm thinking, yeah, no matter, here's, here's my path here, and, and I have to get to the point, I think we have to get to the point, if we really believe that God is the paper on which the story is written, that the ground we walk on is God's ground. And some days I will take a misstep. And God's there too. And some days I will step into these amazing moments. And God's there too. And a lot of days are just pretty mundane and boring. <laughs> and God's there too. That's such a different place to hold. I think a lot of the time with mistakes in life, our ego, and here you could use the word shadow self or hell. You know, what, what, is, what is hell whispering in our ears or what are our egos whispering in our ears? Well, I, I think this, folks. I think hell will try to hold us in the failure. Like hell will literally try to hold us in that failure. How many of us can obsess over a failure we made as a teenager. You better all raise your hands, right? We can totally obsess over that. Well, that's what hell wants you to do. It's really hard not to do it. I want to be clear about that. I don't want to make light of it in the least. It's really hard not to do that. Because hell, hell kind of works that it's trying to get us one of two ways. The first is to say, well, look at this. You are a failure. You are a complete failure. It's com you are a complete failure down to, the, down to your very feet, down to your bones. You're a complete failure. Down to your DNA. Your DNA is labeled loser. You know, you're a failure at that deepest of deepest identification. I imagine many of us have felt that on occasion. So hell will get you down here. And hell will also interestingly get you up here. And what do I mean by that? Well, I think hell can also whisper in us, whisper in our ear, you never failed. There is no such thing as failing or making a mistake. So that story back when you were a teenager, it's so easy to just, if you come from that perspective, to just see it, well, it was everyone else's fault. Now, does that happen on occasion, that there are things that are absolutely 100% other people's fault? No, no doubt about that. And if we get into a habit of constantly saying, no, I, I never had nothing to do with that, and don't have the courage, the rigorous honesty, to look at any role we might have played, we'll miss. 
And grace will not be there. Folks, you're just thinking about that, right? Have you ever played God that way? You know, where, where you said, like, if this happens, you're going to die. You know, and I mean it not literally, figuratively, where we're, we're holding other people even up to that standard. If you make this decision, you make a bad decision, you're going to die. You know, in other words, we're going to cut you off and everything. That is one way to approach life, and, and no doubt there are times where we really do have to set really hard boundaries and really separate from other people. As Desmond Tutu said, from love, we can release relationships or renew relationships. And yet, that's not how God handled it, right? God walks in the garden. And what does he say to these people who've made mistakes? I mean, this just brings, this just make us all teary. He says, where are you? Where are you? What's going on? It's a far different way, friends, to hold the failures of life in a way that's filled with a lot more grace. Because hell holds us one way, I think heaven holds us in this other way, which is in a loving accountability. A loving accountability. Where we know we're always loved. And from that place, can we be accountable? However that looks. Whatever side of the equation we're on. Can we be loving? Can we be accountable? Now as the musicians come out for our next song, I think so much of this is pointing us towards having a better agreement. A better agreement with life better agreement with the way things can work. A better agreement about how to bless the broken road. As you hear the musicians on this song, folks, I want you to think about that, right? Like, this broken road, this, this blessing that we find, like, like, where have we found that? How can we live in that? And, and what is this talking about in terms of a better agreement with life? life a better agreement one that is far more no pun intended far more life-giving far more generative far more about the wisdom of tenderness and the wisdom of love
Wiped my brow and kept pushing through Couldn't see how every side pointed straight to you Church Live, it's Angela. So we need your help. Our fiscal year ends June 30th and we are working harder than ever to try to raise the money it takes to run New Church Live. And that's where you come in. We need everyone to make a donation and support this congregation that you so love and count on. Every week we offer services um, during the week on Sunday. You can watch them whenever you want from wherever you want in the comfort of your own home. We also offer small groups community service opportunities, pastoral counseling, and you name it, the list goes on and on. So we need your support to continue offering the services and programs that you all count on. So we hope you'll consider making a donation by June 30th. Every dollar, every amount makes a huge difference. It doesn't matter how small or large it is. We need everyone to step up to raise the money it takes to run New Church Live. So we hope you'll consider making a donation today. 
Thank you, Angela. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting, folks, and just, you know, the public service announcement part, we really do appreciate your, your support. And we need it. I, I was thinking today, do you realize what today is? Anybody know? I mean, I know it's Memorial Day, right? Today is 13 years from when I first stepped on this stage and we started New Church Live. Well, yeah. Like really, <laughs> really something else. And, and you know, if, if you had told me we'd be where we are, I'd be like, no, my goodness. It's a very different place, folks. You know, I know I did the, did the numbers last week and we had over 300 households to join us. A lot, a lot of people join us, archive services. And when you total up the number of households we serve during a week, it could be 1,500, 300. It could be a lot of people that we serve over the course of a week. And I realize for a lot of people, you probably, you know, enjoy a particular element. And I do want to urge you just to think about supporting us. It really does matter. And it, it's this day and age, it's so different from when we started. I mean, we started, we sort of had this idea there was this thing called the Internet. That'll be nice for people who don't make the Sunday service. And now much more is the Sunday service for people all across the country. And so we really do appreciate your support, whether you're looking at us on a on a, just our Bible study or you're looking at the, the service itself on Sunday. We, we need your support and we appreciate it. And it's gotten us through 13 wonderful years. So folks, I wanna talk about this idea of a better agreement, better agreement around life. Because it's, it's so much, right, when, when mistakes happen and challenges get made, you know, that there's something wrong. And we're living in an era far more interested, I think, in interests than commitments. And in that world of interests versus commitments, it's easy when there's, when there's a failure. Failures don't tend to be terribly interesting. <laughs> you know, they just don't. And we want to get out of that room as quick as we can. And that's not going to serve the world, it's not going to serve you spiritually. It's not going to serve any of us spiritually when we do that. You have a, a wedding coming up right after this, and, uh, you know, it's what I'm going to tell the couple. I said, you know, you're committed to this marriage means you're committed to a thousand mistakes, probably a month, and what you're committing to is committing to the mistakes with one person. You know, that's sort of what it's all about. So we have to come to this, to this different way of seeing commit. It's, it's, it's folks, if I was to say what that agreement is in its, in its simplest form, I would say it's this. I would say we commit and we accept the cost of committing. We commit to things. We say this is the room we're going to try to make a difference in. And, and again, that room can, can expand out many ways. Just a little aside, New Church Live there's a group, a team that left this morning to go down and serve at St. Francis Inn while we're having church today. It's beautiful. It's committing to a room. Saying this is where we're going to make our difference. We're going to commit to this. And we're going to accept the cost of committing. Accept the cost of committing. One room, a thousand failures. One room, a thousand failures. And I, and I say this with a smile, folks. Like, like, thank goodness, right? So, so you know, I, I think you all know this, right? You know God made you on purpose. You get that, right? Like, it wasn't just an accident. He made you on purpose. He made you on purpose. And I, th I think when God made you on purpose, he's like, yep, 
I'm committing to this soul, and I'm committed to their life, and I'm committed to them making a thousand mistakes. If God makes that kind of commitment, we should make that kind of commitment too. And it doesn't, it doesn't folks, I think it's just so important about the spiritual journey. Spiritual journey is never about avoiding the storms of life, ever. And anyone who says that, I would flee from any pastor who, who even gives a hint of that. Because that's not how it's going to work. It's about learning to sail through the storms with beauty, love, and meaning. Seeing God's face, peace, mercy, everything good. That travels with us. A beautiful part is, is when, when, when you look at the Bible in totality. Now, the Bible is really a library of different books. It's not like it, it has one straight plot line per se. There's lots of breaks in the, in the plots and different books that say different things, give us different perspectives on faith, all of it about wrestling with faith. But, but an interesting way to look at it that I find is to look at the parts that were written thousands of years ago, sort of Old Testament stuff before the birth of Jesus, and then look at New Testament stuff, stuff written about Jesus, and to see how they line up in these beautiful ways. Because Jesus said, like, I didn't come to sort of negate all the law. I can think of the law as the Old Testament. I came to fulfill it. So he didn't come in to reject all the stuff that was before. He came to help it evolve. Again, Jesus, God with sandals on, like helping it to evolve, helping it to take the next step. Because humanity's always growing and shifting and changing. And so, did Jesus ever do that? Like, did Jesus ever say, like, okay, with mistakes, how do we do that? How do we, how do we commit as well as accepting the cost of committing? Well, I think he did. I love this story for his disciples, his 12 followers. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it's not worthy, and here, here think, don't think worthy like in or out. Just think like either you're accepted or you're not there. Let your peace return to you. That's, that's interesting, right? Don't get angry. Don't get upset. Let that peace which you wish for them settle on your heart even if it's not able to settle on theirs. Let that peace settle on your heart, even if it's not able to settle on theirs. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the, off the dust from your feet as you leave the house or town. In other words, the way we would say that today is, just learn to shake it off. Just learn to shake it off. Because we will fail. Committing to a room means committing to a thousand of those failures. God's going to love us anyways. Sometimes we're going to be doing our best and it's not going to work. Best intentions. Doing everything we can and it still didn't work. Even there, God's saying, yeah, just, just shake that off. Because, folks, we're all on the journey home. That simple. We're all on this journey home. Mistakes, errors, the whole thing. Life always this. Blessed 
and, friends, broken. Amen. What we're going to do now is now I'm going to do a prayer. Then we'll have a little, little Our Father prayer, a moment of quiet meditation, and then our final song. So please join me in prayer. Lord, thank you for your presence here today. The beauty of music, Lord. The beauty of the music of the spheres. The beauty of oneness, the universe. Help us, Lord, to see ourselves, to plan ourselves in that journey. A journey filled with things that are so beautiful they are beyond belief. And Lord, things that are so humbling. A thousand mistakes. Help us, Lord, to learn, to live, to breathe, to move forward with both. To shake it off when that's what's called for. To make sure we're always checking towards accountability when that is needed. And remembering this, that we are always to be grounded in love, your love, your transformative love, your love that changes the world one small step, one small step at a time. Bless our ways, Lord. Our Father, who art in the heavens, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so upon the earth. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you, bring you peace, and bring you home. Amen. Watch my back, light my way. My traveling star, my traveling Watch over star. all of those born St. Christopher's Day. Old road dog, young runaway. They hunger for home, cannot stay. They wait by the door, they stand and they stare. They're already out of there. They're already out of there. Daddy used to ride the rails, they say. So they say, so they say. Soft as smoke, tough as nails, my dad. Boxcar Jones, old walking man. Coming back home was like going to jail. The sheets and the blankets and babies and all. No, he never did come back home. Never that I recall. Never mind the never mind the rain. Never mind the road leading home again. Never asking why. Never knowing when. Every now and then, there he goes.
She had a cat, a dog named Blue. My traveling star, my traveling star. Big old stove in a fireplace, too. Old road dog, young runaway. She told me she loved me like it was true. I knew I should stay, I knew I would go. Run, run, run away. Run, run, run away, boy. Run before the wind, run before the rain. Over yonder hill, just around the bend. Never asking why, never knowing when. Every now and then, there he goes again. Tie me up and hold me down. Bury my feet down in the ground. Road dog, road dog. Clean my name from the lost and found. And let me believe this is where I belong. Shame on me for sure. One more highway song. My traveling star, my traveling star. Have a great week, everybody. Take care. We'll see you soon. My traveling star, 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 traveling star, whole road dog, Thank you. Have a great week.